Hello, everybody. This is Joseph P. Farrell with news and views from the Nefarium on Thursday, August 16th, 2018, a stormy Thursday where I am. You can probably hear the thunder going off in the background. Uh, I decided I better do this before the power might go out and get it done. Um, Mr. HB sent me a really important article from the Asia Times that I want to talk about today. But before we get to that, some announcements. Remember, there is no vid chat tomorrow. Uh, tomorrow I will be, however, um, recording a show with Mr. Richard Dolan. Uh, as you know, Mr. Dolan is probably the leading UFO researcher in the world right now. So we've got that on tap. I don't know what he wants to talk about, but that is uh, going to take place tomorrow. No vid chat. Uh, the next vid chat will be a week from tomorrow, and that will be the um, the late time zone for North and South America and the Pacific uh, Rim. So that's what's coming up. But this article from the Asia Times is very, very important, and there's something in it that caught my eye, and I want to indulge in a bit of high-octane speculation and kind of expand on this. This article was written by Pepe Escobar, uh, the title of the article is called, Here's the Real Reason the U.S. Must Talk to Russia, and then there's a subtitle, A New Book Details Why Future Historians May Well Identify Putin's Landmark March 1st Speech as the Ultimate Game Changer in the 21st Century New Great Game in Eurasia. And I want to read several paragraphs from the beginning of this article to highlight the part of it that caught my eye big time that may be uh, partly confirming some views I've been entertaining for about 10 to 12 years now, going all the way back to interviews on uh, the late George Ann Hughes's Bite Show and proceeding up to the present and some of the reasons that we see some of the strange um, geopolitical pronouncements coming out of Donald Trump. Nobody is, I think, interpreting uh, the Trump administration correctly. There's two things that are going on. There's his uh, tough talk on tariffs business, but the, behind the scenes, there is a study, a strategic study, that as far as I can tell was begun during the Obama administration that the Trump administration has more or less picked up on. And it is a, a study that I want you to think of in the background as I'm reading this, that basically, if you read between the lines, is admitting that the geopolitics of American unipolarism is over and that the strategic vision that the United States has to adopt is now one of a unipolar world, which it still intends to be the dominant power within, but that carries with it certain implications that we're going to get to that are revealed by this article in a very clever way. Uh, the article is dated July 21st, so approximately a month ago, but it's an important article. You should take a look at it. Uh, let's begin with the first three paragraphs, and I'm going to skip a few and then draw your attention to a very significant statement in this paragraph that I think kind of explains what's really going on, not only in this country, but in Europe. 
quote, Russian warships, among them the frigate Admiral Gorshkov, and it's uh, presenting a picture here, sailed near the Kronstadt naval base outside of St. Petersburg on July 20th, 2018, during a rehearsal for the naval parade. And there's a big picture, which I can't obviously show, but you've got the link to the article. You'll be able to see these uh, brand-new Russian warships of the Baltic fleet. Future historians may well identify Russian President Vladimir Putin's landmark March 1st speech as the ultimate game-changer in the 21st century new great game in Eurasia. The reason is minutely detailed in a book titled Losing Military Supremacy, The Myopia of American Strategic Planning, a new book by Russian military naval analyst Andrei Martyanov. Martyanov is uniquely equipped for the task. Born in Baku in the early 1960s, that's the big oil fields down in the uh, southeastern part of the Transcaucasus region, right by the Caspian Sea, southern Caspian Sea. Born in Baku in the early 1960s, he was a naval officer in the USSR era up to 1990. He moved to the U.S. in the mid-1990s and is now a lab director in an aerospace firm. He belongs to an extremely rarefied group, top military and naval analysts, specializing in U.S.-Russia relations and comparisons. The United States, and I'm skipping paragraphs here now, folks, the United States Industrial Military Intelligence Security Complex profits from a compounded annual budget of roughly one trillion U.S. dollars. The only justification for such whopping expenditure is to manufacture a lethal external threat, namely Russia. That's the key reason the complex will not allow U.S. President Donald Trump even to try to normalize relations with Russia. Yet now this is a whole new ball game as the United States faces a formidable adversary that, as Martyanov carefully details, deploys five crucial capabilities. Number one, command, control, communications, computers, intelligence, surveillance, and reconnaissance capabilities equal or better than that of the United States. Number two, electronic warfare capabilities equal or better to than the United States. And we've seen, in my opinion, several incidents that are suggestive of this. The two U.S.'s Donald Cook incidents the first one in the Black Sea, the second one in the Baltic Sea, and then we had that incident when the Russians intervened in Syria and basically blacked out NATO communications, and people are also forgetting in this respect the uh, Trump administration's cruise missile attack where approximately 50% of the cruise missiles that America launched did not hit their targets. So that implies some very sophisticated electronic warfare capabilities, and the Russians, I think, have been demonstrating these. I'm still of the opinion that the Fitzgerald and John McCain uh, incidents were also perhaps demonstrations of some of these electronic warfare capabilities. Continuing, number three, new weapons systems equal or better to or better than the U.S. Uh, the Russians recently revealed their uh, Armata tank, the turret in the tank is essentially all mechanized. There's no crew inside the turret, and the tank itself, therefore, requires, I think, a crew of three rather than five. So less people, more tanks. <laughs> okay. 
Um, number four, air defense systems that are more than a match for U.S. air power. And then number five, long-range subsonic, supersonic, and hypersonic cruise missiles that threaten the U.S. empire of bases and even the entire U.S. mainland. So how did we get here? This is the part I want you to listen very carefully to. All right? And I'm going to go back and highlight the part that caught my eye. Martyanov argues that Russia, all through the first decade of the millennium, spent enough time, quote, defining herself in terms of enclosed technological cycles, localization, and manufacturing, unquote. In contrast, Germany, even with a large developed economy, quote, cannot design and build from scratch a state-of-the-art fighter jet, unquote, while Russia can. Germany, quote, doesn't have a space industry, and Russia does, unquote. As for those who pass in the U.S. for Russian experts, they never saw these techno-breakthroughs coming. They simply, quote, have no grasp of the enormous difference between the processes involved in a virtual monetized economy and those involved in manufacturing of the modern combat informational control system or of the cutting-edge fighter jet, unquote. Martyanov produces plenty of snapshots. For instance, quote, Russia, without any unnecessary fanfare, launched a complete upgrade of her naval nuclear deterrent with state-of-the-art ballistic missile submarines of the Bore class. This is the program which most Russian analysts were laughing at 10 years ago. They are not laughing anymore, unquote. And then a final paragraph here. And that leads us to the Holy of Holies concerning the favorite Beltway mantra, quote, Russian aggression, unquote. Even as Russia, quote, does have the capability to deal major damage to NATO, as Martyanov reminds us, why would Russia attack or damage European countries, which are worth way more for Russia, free and prosperous, than they would be if damaged and theoretically subjugated, unquote. Now, the part here that caught my eye was Martyanov's suggestion that in the, in the aftermath of the collapse of the Soviet Union and confronted at that time with a technological superiority on the part of the United States in military technology, the Russians basically inventoried their national security capabilities and determined what they needed to do. And you'll note that what they did was they kept all of their technological manufacturing capability for their most advanced systems in Russia. In other words, they were not farming out in a kind of multinational global corporate structure their national security manufacturing capability. Now, Germany has done this, as have most of the Western countries. Um, including the United States. In fact, a, an example of this is the main armament on America's main battle tanks is a German weapon, all right? So in other words, if the license is pulled, what do we do? <laughs> you know, well, we can either manufacture and owe lots of royalties or we have to come up with our own weapon system. This is the problem, and Russia kept it all in-house. Now, I've strongly suspected for years, folks, and no one to my knowledge has done a study of this aspect 
of the so-called rape of Russia. But I've strongly suspected for a number of years that the rape of Russia was designed specifically to dismantle and internationalize those manufacturing capabilities having to deal with military technology in the uh, post-Soviet era. In other words, they did not want Russia to maintain any sort of capability of the, of the sort that it has been able to maintain. And I've long suspected that the reason that uh, Mr. Yeltsin ultimately promoted Mr. Putin to his current position of power was precisely the fact that he saw this was where it was going and they needed somebody with intelligence background and expertise and expertise in, in law, which M Mr. Putin has both, uh, that they needed somebody that would be able to stop that process and keep these things in-house. Now, what does this mean? Well, I've been suggesting for years, uh, going all the way back, as I said in the introduction to this News and Views, that the late George Ann Hughes on several show shows, I told her that no, I was not expecting uh, the elite to collapse the economy. In fact, I told her what I suspect they were going to begin doing is they recognized the long-term trend was against them, and they had to shore up their power base, and that meant North America, and that meant that they had to reshore industry into this country. In other words, the global only game was up and the globalists themselves knew it. And that's what we see going on. So I suspect that Trump's rhetoric is uh, this would have happened uh, the same way. Perhaps the details would have been different if Hillary or somebody else had gotten in. But I suspect that the long-term goal here that you're seeing in the Trump administration was uh, basically set about 10 to 12 years ago when this process was recognized and they recognized they had to reshore. So I think you have to couple Trump's tariff rhetoric with that study that was done of America's changing strategic position in a multipolar world. That means, in effect, folks, that all of that technology, all of that industrial base has to come back, and this is what he's been up to. This is what he's been trying to do. Uh, you, can't have, you can't have an empire when your military industrial complex is getting most of its sensitive equipment from China, one of your potential enemies. So Russia did not make this mistake, and as a result, what you see going on in Russia is they have taken the lead in a number of key technological areas. And this, let's remember one very important thing here. This is the technology that the Russians are showing us, okay? So, you know, you have the same game with Russia as you have in this country. What you see is not necessarily all that they're capable of doing. Uh, and I suspect that the Russians, being the Russians, are not showing us their top-line capability. Um, so do that Do that uh, projection, and I think you'll see that the geopolitical game has got to change. And my prediction is, until this reshoring process is complete, I think the rhetoric ultimately, even coming from that dangerous uh, neo-Ziocon segment of 
the American deep state, I think even that rhetoric is going to be toned down in the mid uh, in the midterm to long term future until the U.S. reestablishes that manufacturing base and catches back up in some of these key military technological areas. So something to watch here, folks. Uh, this is a very important article. I hope you'll read through the rest of it. Uh, it, it it's uh, really quite a stunner, and I want to thank Mr. HB for sharing that. Remember, folks, no vid chat tomorrow. I am uh, scheduled to do if we don't... <laughs> If the storm doesn't blow us all away here, um, I am scheduled to do that interview tomorrow with, with Mr. Richard Dolan. I have no idea if that will be live or recorded interviews, so I don't know if it's going to post right away. No vid chat. That will be next week. Anyway, thank you all for tuning in today, and we'll see you on the flip side. Bye-bye, and God bless.